1: welcome to in the oil patch radio show i'm your host kim Pilato, and today we have a great show lined up for you we will be joined by robert mcnally who is the president and founder of rapidan energy group which is a consulting company that focuses on global oil markets energy policy and geopolitics he's also the author of a book called crude volatility but first i want to discuss our latest issue of shell magazine Another great issue and another great cover. You will never guess who we were able to catch up with and discuss a little bit about the Permian Basin area. There's an area out there called Alpine High, and we were able to get an exclusive story from Steve Keenan with Apache Corporation, who was the main, main person behind discovering Alpine High uh, in the Permian Basin area and a New Mexico area. So if you're interested in in that, this is a story that you don't want to miss. Uh, and if you're interested in reading the latest issue of Shell magazine, please go to ShellMag.com. That's S H A L E M A G dot com to read all all about Steve Keenan, the main person behind Alpine High. Switching gears a little bit on you guys, uh, I'm very excited and I hope that you will join me personally on February 11th in Austin, Texas, beautiful Austin, Texas. We will be heading down there to talk to all of our elected officials, discussing very, very important topics pertaining to the future of the region of South Texas. This is those 47 counties that really need input from the community, as well as the Texas Energy Advocate Coalition that they will be supporting all things oil and gas. So please visit TXEnergyAdvocates.com and sign up for your free seat on our bus and come and have fun with us for that day once again it's february the 11th at noon at our texas Capitol. but if you want a free ride there and lots of fun please sign up at txenergyadvocates.com and sign up to get your free seat on the bus seats are going fast so i encourage you to register right now it's free why not spend a day with us advocating making sure your voice is heard and having a fun day with me. So come on, get on our website, TXEnergyAdvocates.com. And I'll see you at the Capitol on February 11th. Changing gears, I want to talk to you about something very exciting that's happening here at In the Wall Patch Radio Show. We have heard comments and questions Um, over and over through the years. And we are very excited to announce that we will now be hosting a live show for all of our listeners to call in and get their questions answered. So we have teamed up with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers President John Tintera to come to the studio and answer all of your questions. So I encourage you and I hope you will join me every second Tuesday of the month at 2 p.m. for a live call-in show. And you never know, you might just like hearing your voice on the radio. Our live call-in number is area code 210-526-3656. Again, the live call-in number is area code 210-526-3656. Be sure to call in and be a part of the conversation. Once again, that phone number is area code 210-526-3656. And now it's time to bring on the editor of Shell Magazine, David Blackman. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's
2: another beautiful day in Texas.
1: It sure is. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you on was your thoughts, since we just uh, heard the State of the Union from President Trump and he was discussing energy. What are your thoughts on how he delivered his speech? Well,
2: it was, it was, a, it was a really fine speech, you know, and very uh, predictable reactions to it for, for Republicans versus Democrats. It's all such a charade, basically, with, with you know, who claps at what line. But, you uh, Yeah, he talked about uh, the fact that the United States has has become this energy powerhouse, the biggest oil and natural gas producer on the face of the planet. And and his policies, frankly, have uh, really contributed heavily to that uh, outcome. And uh, your attitude towards that just depends on what your political views are. The Democrats did not applaud those particular lines, and the Republicans did. So I guess that tells you where the two parties are in Washington anyway. so anyway, it, it was a good speech overall, though, and it was well received by the public. Uh, all, the, all the polls uh, gave it, uh, you know, heavy approval numbers. So.
1: Well, what I hope is that the American people understand how much everything has changed energy-wise and related from one administration to the next. And, you know, we do enjoy um, lower utility bills, lower gas prices at the pump a good uh robust economy and a lot of that is geared because we have a great uh energy renaissance going on and um without that we would not be where we are so we we need to remember that we really really are energy dependent uh in our daily lives you know
2: we ought to point out for those who missed it in our January February issue last year 2018 uh Shell magazine had a 5000 word write up on just exactly how the Trump policies uh, have helped to stimulate the oil and gas industry in this country. And it's, you know, it's still worth a read today.
1: Exactly. Well, let's change gears a little bit and talk about, we've talked a lot about the shortages of pipeline capacity uh, to move uh, oil out of the Permian Basin, which is the largest shell play going on right now. The Wall Street Journal, though, had a report this week, noting that oil trains are now making a comeback and to relieve the congestion that's going on out there. And my question is, is this a a desirable situation and can it you know is it going to maintain is this going to maintain or is it going to be something that uh, is not manageable long term
2: yeah well it's it's not a long-term deal first of all it, it, it's this is all going to be uh, uh, resolved by the end of this year frankly with these new pipelines coming online there's at least three that are going to be completed by the end of this year and several more next year and this will all be a thing of the past, but uh, right now, yeah, you don't want oil uh, being transported on rail. Uh, it's not the safest way to transport oil, as, as we've seen in the past with major rail incidents. Pipelines are infinitely safer and more environmentally sound means of, of transporting oil and natural gas, and that's why we build pipelines in this country. You know, it's not that um, I'm not bashing rail. Rail is, is safe too, but it, it doesn't have quite as good a safety record as pipelines, and uh, you have far fewer emissions into the atmosphere uh, using pipelines than, than you do when you have to transfer, transfer the crude oil you know, into these rail cars. So it's not a good situation, but it's very temporary, and we'll all be gone by the end of 2019.
1: You know, not too long ago, we did a segment in which we were discussing how the United States. Uh, has now become a net exporter in the area of LNG and natural gas. And now, because of the Permian Basin, or speaking in line with the Permian Basin, the EIA is now projecting that our country will become the next ec- uh, net exporter for oil next year, thanks mostly to all the new production that's coming out of West Texas. So, Talk to me a little bit about being a net exporter, the benefits to our country, and uh, what would it be like if we were a net exporter on both natural gas side and oil?
2: Well, it's, it's, it's definitely good for the country in a number of ways. It tells you that uh, we are far more energy secure, first of all, um, as a country than we were have been in the past. I mean... It's, it's amazing how little, how, how much less crude oil we actually import today than, than we used to. Um, it's, it's fantastic for our trade balance uh, with other countries uh, because, you know, now we're exporting more than we're importing, or we will be as of next year. Uh, and so that, you know, helps the bottom line for the country and our federal budget. Um, and it just, it's, it's better for our domestic oil and gas industry, because our producers have access to these international markets for their production. It helps them become more profitable and create more jobs and, you know, produce more and more oil and gas as we're seeing happening in this country. So it's it's really a boon economically, and it's a boon from a national security standpoint uh, being more secure in our energy situation, and, and it's just good for everyone. and. Uh, so, thank goodness it's happening. Ten years ago, the Permian Basin was a dead basin, and now it's the, the hottest oil play on the face of the earth. It's it's really extraordinary.
1: My, 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 how things change, and, and relatively quickly. Uh, changing gears a little bit, you wrote a very interesting piece on your own website, uh, DB Energy, this week, and it was a post at Shell Mag in which you discuss the reason why electric vehicles aren't a really big threat to gas-powered cars. Um, we hear a lot about um, states trying to ban them, and I guess uh, I wanted to talk to you about your thoughts on, is this really coming down the pike? And if so, when?
2: So I guess the thing, the point to make is that without uh, government policies that uh, make it artificially more expensive to drive gasoline-powered automobiles, electric vehicles are really no threat to the internal combustion engine in the future, for the foreseeable future. Um, and, and the reasons for this are several. The first is that uh, demand for crude oil just keeps growing faster uh, than electric vehicles are able to in- intrude into the markets here in the United States. I mean, you just our demand for energy as a country and globally even um, just is expanding so rapidly that the EV ind- industry just can't keep up. Uh, and then the second reason is you have all these developing nations all over the world uh, who want to bring their people into the modern age. And, and the only way they can do that is with access to cheap and reliable sources of energy that are scalable on a national basis, whereas, you know, with electric vehicles, they're nice, but they're very expensive, and they're not broadly available like gasoline-powered engines are, Uh, and it's just much cheaper to operate uh, an internal, uh, you know, gasoline or diesel-powered automobile than it is electric vehicle
1: right now very interesting well david once again thank you for uh joining us this week and i look forward to talking to you next week when we'll bring you back on to talk more about energy and politics
2: great i'll look forward to it
1: and with that we do have to take a quick break but when we return we will be joined by robert mcnally who is the president of rapidan energy group and you are listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back
0: In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute, produced by shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update.
3: Yesterday, Democrats in Congress unveiled their Green New Deal proposal, including support from several Democratic presidential hopefuls. The resolution described overhauling American buildings, replacing planes with high-speed rail, and putting in place assistance programs for those unable or, quote, unwilling to work. A key focus was a target on fossil fuels. And while the resolution did not cover funding. Since the federal government already spends $1 trillion per year more than it takes in, the ideas are clearly a wish list. However, the concerning part is the willingness to adopt policies that put the burden on those who need gasoline and diesel because they can't afford high-end electric cars. The result? The poorest part of our society pay more for gasoline to subsidize
0: rich people's Teslas. Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com.
1: And we're back, you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Robert McNally, who is uh, the founder and president of Rapidan Energy Group. And of course, you are the author of Crude Volatility. Welcome back to the show.
3: Well, it's great to be with you, Kim. Thanks for having me back.
1: Well, um, I wanted to talk uh, to you about getting up to speed on what's happening in your opinion, because there's a lot of moving parts currently right now uh, when we're talking about uh, energy on a global market. And uh, but before we we ran into you, and I was able to sit down with you when uh, you were a speaker at the Deloitte conference sometime back. Uh, and I was uh, very happy to get a few minutes with you to talk to you about a book that you have uh, written called volatility Uh, very very interesting stuff in this book and I'm gonna get into it a little bit later on in the show but I want first tell me a little bit about yourself so we kind of know uh, some of the history leading up to the book
3: well thank you yep Uh, I uh, I have 28 years professional experience Uh, two and a half of those years were spent on the policy side working in the White House for President George W. Bush as his top energy advisor on the National Security Council and the National Economic Council. But the rest of my years have been spent in Washington, but from the oil markets, if you will, as either an oil analyst uh, or working for a hedge fund as a strategist and an analyst. And uh, so 10 years ago, I formed Rapid End Energy Group, my own firm, about 15 of us. And, uh, and we advise folks on where fundamentals are moving oil prices, also energy policy and and geopolitics. So my background has been in the private sector mostly, uh, but always in Washington and sort of one foot in Washington and policy and geopolitics and in the other foot in the oil markets and the barrel counting and so forth.
1: Well, you know, further on in the show, when we start talking about your book, there uh, have been some uh, really big names that have a credit that you you know, what you gave them was really uh, what they uh, went off of to uh, make good energy decisions. So I want to ask you one thing, first and foremost, what do you think is like the biggest concern that energy, big oil companies are facing currently right now in the market?
3: Well, I think the biggest concern, and this is a bit ironic, uh, since in Washington, there's not a lot of love lost for OPEC. But I think one of the biggest concerns is will Saudi Arabia and Russia be able to sort of keep a floor under oil prices? Uh, Or are we going to see another bust, a repeat of that big drop down to the $26 barrel level there for a few days in February of 2016? Um, And a little bit underneath that concern is the broader economy, um, because it's hard enough uh, for Russia and Saudi Arabia, other countries to try and you know, cut production voluntarily, collectively, as they've had to over the last uh, several weeks um, when the economy is going well. But with the Fed raising rates, with equity markets wobbly uh, over the last several months, with trade disputes on the horizon, with China seemingly slowing down pretty hard, other parts of the world, the EU, there's a lot of concerns about the broader health of the macro economy. And one thing the oil industry knows from history is. Uh, when you have a weak economy and too much oil um, you get a really big price drop so that's probably probably I'd say the main near-term near-term concern
1: what about um, how does Venezuela and the current sanctions coming in from the United States how is that coming in and affecting uh, energy prices Uh, is that something that we should be concerned about in your opinion
3: oh certainly um especially if you're a uh in the downstream in the gulf of mexico if you're a complex refiner and you've invested a lot of capital in specialized equipment suited to taking in that venezuelan heavy oil and turning it into the light products we want uh, you're going to be very concerned um we haven't seen too much of a price move so far because the administration has been telegraphing this for quite a while. Um, Although the day of the announcement, the precise announcement, came as a little bit of a surprise, the industry has been well aware that we've been heading in this direction. And so, you know, on the earnings calls and so forth, uh, the refiners in the Gulf, they've been saying, look, we've been reducing our imports in Venezuela. We've seen this coming. We're going to get other grades. We're optimizing for other grades and so forth. So, But still, we've been importing about 500,000 barrels a day, of Venezuelan oil and uh, overnight uh, you can't do it um, unless you put the payment into an escrow account and it's not clear at all that uh, the old president Maduro is going to allow that so it's a de facto embargo overnight on the purchases of 500 uh, 500,000 barrels of heavy oil and you know normally a heavy oil like Venezuela sells is uh, at a low price is lower quality but there's actually a shortage of it now. Uh, not a short, It's not a shortage. It, it's more valued. Uh, the Saudis have been cutting supplies. Canada, with the curtailment, has been cutting heavy oil uh, production. So what we have here, and this is a bit unusual, is the world's dirtiest, usual, lowest-value crude happens to be uh, fetching a pretty good premium in the markets these days. And um, so it makes it a real challenge for those Gulf refiners. You know, longer term, I think the question is, you know, will we see a transition in Venezuela with a disruption or not in overall production? And that could be disruptive and really get overall crude prices going higher. But if, um, if the transition that the Trump administration now seems pretty determined and with considerable international support to put through, uh, if, that, if that comes about hopefully quickly and with, uh, with minimal disruption, You know, it'll take uh, a year or two and more to bring back Venezuelan production, but that's going to be a really good thing, I think, for the global oil industry, especially the links between our Gulf of Mexico and Venezuela. Again, there's a sort of a hand-in-glove kind of fit there, uh, not only between the the, the heavy crude they export to the the Gulf refiners, but also the operations of our companies, our service companies in Venezuela and so forth. So hopefully, uh, longer term, it's um it's gonna be a good news story. But near term I think the concern is replacing those Venezuelan barrels if you're that refiner. We are having a little bit of a gasoline glut right now, so in a way, and we're not in the summer, so in a way if you have to do something like this from the consumer's perspective, it's probably the best time to do it. But as we look through the year, it's it's how will that transition come off? Uh will will there be broader sanctions? Will Venezuela's overall production and exports be cut? You know, that's something that could uh Let's, let's put it this way make opec's job a lot easier of putting a floor under crude prices.
1: Excellent, excellent. Um, interesting. When we return from break, I want to get into uh, the uh, price of oil and and the recent uh, gain that we've we've uh, seen as of this morning. So, but we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to in the Oil Patch Radio show and we'll be right back.
0: Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com
1: plan your next meeting or event at victoria college's emerging technology complex home to the the state-of-the-art conference and education center conveniently located between houston and corpus christi the center hosts meetings educational workshops and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com.
0: Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S H A L E, mag, mag.com.
1: we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show our guest today is robert mcnally who is uh the founder and president of rapidan energy group uh and robert before the break we were kind of discussing all of the big global issues um that are causing um a lot of upheaval but i want to get more specific and 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 drill down into oil prices and your thoughts we've 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 seen a little bit of a recovery uh in january and uh will it Will it uh, be enough for, I guess, the U.S. operators here to continue uh, where they've been drilling, or do you see the rig count continuing to to decrease?
3: Sure. Uh, Great. No, great question. So uh, back in May, and we're pretty proud of this, my wife will tell you I'm I'm certainly not an infallible person, but we had a good call last May. We told our clients that crude, I'm thinking now Brent Oil, um, crude is headed towards $80 a barrel in the fourth quarter, Because, and this was the case when you and I sat down at Deloitte, everyone thought President Trump was going to drive all of Iran's oil off the market and the price of oil was going to soar. And instead, um, as we expected, President Trump decided that lower gasoline prices is more important than squeezing Iran's oil exports and so kind of issued some waivers and was easier on Iran and prices uh, collapsed by by 35, 40 percent and they stabilized. And we said back in May, our price was $80, $60 Brent. That's what we said. It happened a little faster than we thought, but uh, we thought that the fundamentals justified Brent at about $60 all through this year. And that's roughly where we are. Uh, WTI is, is is about maybe 8 eight to $10 below that. And then as we open up some of that Permian uh, you know, pipeline takeaway capacity later this year. We think that WTI Brent spread will will come in uh, will come in some more, maybe to you know five dollars or less. So, we in a nutshell, we think you know, that crude is fairly valued, just around where it is, and I and we're kind of expecting more or less, you know, it's never perfectly stable crude to range around these levels um, through the rest of the year. Now that was uh, whenever I make a forecast. Of course, I always ask myself. You know, where could we be wrong? Because most forecasts are wrong. Uh, and I say, well, we told our clients, you know, we're concerned about this global economy uh, weakening. And so if you ask me, uh, if you're, if it's not going to be $60, is it going to be $10, or $10 a barrel or more lower or higher? I would have said lower because of the risks of a real slowdown in the global in, in the economy. And um, uh, but I think this Venezuela issue uh, that we talked about now introduces some upside risks. So You know, I guess we're feeling pretty good still. Uh, Since May, we're feeling pretty good that $60 uh, in the current period is probably the sweet spot. Um, Saudi Arabia has been cutting production. A couple of other producers, Russia is a little slower, but it's cutting as we expected. Um, uh, The weak economy does oppose a downside risk, but the Venezuela geopolitics and upside risk. So we think it's more or less kind of where where we are is where we'll remain here going into summer.
1: So nothing's going to fall, but nothing's going to really gain either, just where we are.
3: Yeah, we chop around. That's right. I think we can chop around here. It'll never be perfectly stable, right?
1: You know, I was going to ask you, we we came back to Venezuela and I I just, I'm not, I'm not sure if you're familiar, I was reading a a media report last night. It was discussing um, CITCO and some of their executives. I think there was uh, six or eight of them that was uh, flown to um, Venezuela and they've They've kept them ever since, and these are Texas businessmen and Texas oilmen. Uh, And um, I'm just wondering, with all of the uh, upheaval that's occurring in Venezuela right now, uh, I wonder, what are your thoughts on, do we get these, uh, do these guys come back anytime soon?
3: Well, um, I'm actually unfamiliar with that report, so I can't say I know anything about that. Um, But, uh, you know, stepping back, um, you know, people always ask, well, is the president, are we doing the same thing to... Venezuela that we're doing to Iran is this a repeat? And in some ways, it's not as severe. You know, the sanctions aren't as aren't as severe against Venezuela yet. We haven't. We're not sanctioning any country in the world that buys Venezuelan oil. We're just saying it can't involve the United States in any way, shape, or form unless that money goes into escrow. But on the other on the other hand, and this gets to the potential uh, dramatic actions that. The Maduro regime might be taking, and again, not having read about this, um, but this could explain it. With uh, we've made regime change a very clear objective of U.S. policy. Uh, We've said we don't recognize Maduro anymore. We recognize Mr. Guaido, uh, Guaido, and uh, and uh, we're transferring um, assets and uh, you know recognition to him, and uh, he's the new legitimate president. And so uh, you know, there's not a lot of room to wiggle there for Maduro, and. Again, unlike Iran, you're seeing broad international support for the U.S. action. Uh, Canada, Europe, even many most countries in Latin America are supporting us. So uh, the Maduro regime is increasingly isolated, only supported by Cuba, Nicaragua, Bolivia, uh, Russia, and China, and backed into a corner. So unfortunately... Um, you know, they could be taking some pretty desperate actions because they are cornered here in a way even the Iranian regime isn't yet.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Well, we are going to take a quick break, Robert. When we return, I want to get into your book because it is a very, very interesting book. But we are going to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: Join us for Nape Summit Week from February 11th through the 15th, 2019 at the George R. Brown Convention Center in Houston, Texas. One show, one location. NAPE is the oil and gas industry's marketplace for the buying, selling, and trading of prospects and producing properties. NAPE is unique in that it brings together all industry disciplines. It draws in decision makers, it focuses its participation on prospect generators, and it hosts companies of all sizes, from small independents to majors. If you compete in the upstream oil and gas business, NAPE offers you an unparalleled opportunity to meet decision makers in an environment that is fun, energetic, and most of all, serious about getting business done visit napexpo.com. That's N-A-P-E-E-X-P-O.com.
1: The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show our guest today is robert mcnally who is uh the founder and president of rapidan energy group uh robert before the break we were talking about just global topics pertaining to energy uh but you wrote a book uh it's called crude volatility and i think the book also helps people who really want to try to have a better understanding of where we are and how do we get here this book is is really good for that purpose. So tell me a little bit about um, you know, why you decided uh, to write the book. What inspired you? Um, the title is The History and the Future of Boom and Bust Oil Prices. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the, the, the concept. Of sure. The
3: Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Well, it stemmed from my lifelong passion and interest in history, as well as the oil market. And as a, as a barrel counter over the last 15 years, I just said, wait a minute, you don't see this quintupling in oil prices we saw in from 03 to 08. I mean, you just don't see that without wars in the Persian Gulf. And we didn't have it at that time. And you didn't see the kind of collapse in prices by 60% in six months that we saw in 2014. And it said to me, wait a minute, something we're seeing some unusual uh, volatility in oil prices. So I wanted to look back in history and say, have we seen those types of swings before? And answer the question, you know, why is oil naturally prone to these boom-bust oil price swings. And then recognizing that since oil is the lifeblood of modern civilization, governments, industry just can't really tolerate that kind of volatility. How in the past has governments and the industry attempted to suppress that volatility, never to eliminate it? And so that led me to the Texas Railroad Commission and, uh, and then OPEC, And uh, what I concluded was the reason that we're on this sort of a roller coaster that we really haven't seen in about nine nine decades in terms of wild oil price swings, the size of the swings, up and down, is that we, we no longer have an effective swing producer. We don't have that old Texas Railroad Commission, which acted as the swing producer and price stabilizer for 40 years, from 1932 to 1972. And OPEC has also lost its mojo. And so, uh, again, I was trying to explain what I was seeing out the window and then where we could be headed in terms of oil prices. And so the book kind of then poses the big question, are we gonna have a new swing producer? Um, And uh, we're coming up on the two year anniversary of the book and I'm going to uh, the Columbia Center on Global Energy Policy at Columbia University next Tuesday. uh, And we're gonna have a panel discussion on this and, and look forward and say, well, Maybe this new alliance between Saudi Arabia and Russia that cropped up after the oil price bust of 2016, maybe this group will step in and be the new swing producer. Uh, maybe shale oil, some people think, can be the new swing producer. I'm skeptical of both, um, but you know what? Uh, reasonable people can differ, and we're going to have a robust discussion. But I think it's it's not only the most important question in the oil market going forward, but it's one of the most important questions for the global economy, because, again, when the price of oil whips around like it has in the last 10 to 15 years, it destabilizes not just energy investment and consumer decisions, but it destabilizes it's much bigger. It's monetary policy. It's defense planning and spending. It's geopolitical stability. It gets to everything. Uh, and so it's a crucial question. And that's my book was sort of trying to explain the present. By looking into the past and looking into the economics of the of the oil market, And as you say, I I try to make it very um, uh, reachable by the generalist uh, here, and I I'm, I'm, I appreciate your 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 compliments, and I and I hope others will read it and uh, and welcome the feedback.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it just it makes sense that I I run into people all the time uh, that are outside of oil and gas, and the biggest um, the biggest concern that is always discussed is how hard it is to find information that an outside the oil and gas industry person wants to learn about oil but they can't because it's too technical it's too complicated there's no history to bring them up to speed whereas your book really captures most of this and and and, and can make someone uh, at least understand uh, oil and oil prices and and when you think about how important it is, Robert, that no matter what we do, we must have oil in our lives. No matter what part of the planet you live on, it's that important to all of us. And uh, and and I think people get like I really need to understand more of it and how is this going to affect me. And, and looking at your book and seeing some of the the people who um you know talked about your book, Daniel uh, Juergen, who is, uh, you know, vice president of IHS Market, a huge, very respected um, company and person. Scott Sheffield, we did the cover of Pioneer Natural Resources a couple of years back. He was the CEO. He also commented on your book and, in my opinion, gave you one of the best compliments ever, which is the whole reason why he accredits Pioneer doing so well was a lot of the recommendations coming straight from you and that your book and your company uh, is right on point and a a great uh, asset uh, to have on your team. Uh, So those are his recommendations. So um, of course I wanted to read the book and and I want to get into, I don't want to give the whole book away because of course I think it's important to read the entire book. When we come back, I want you to talk a little bit about uh your chapter number two it says no rockefellers no peace boom bust returns uh, and then we move into the oil boom bust cycles but we do have to take a quick break you're listening to in the oil patch radio show and we'll be right back hi this is kim Bilotto, host of in the oil patch radio show do you have questions on global warming how about seismicity air quality water issues what's opec What's OPEC Plus? Oil prices and gas prices? You probably have a bunch of questions. Starting every second Saturday of the month at 2 p.m., we will have a live call-in show in which John Tatera, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, will be joining me in studio to answer all your questions so be sure to take advantage of getting your most important oil and gas questions answered live and join us on the show the call in live line is 210-526-3656 again the call in live number is 210-526-3656 be sure to call in at 2 p.m. If you want more information on how to call in live or the phone number again, be sure to email us at radio at shalemag.com. That's radio at gcom Or just go to our Facebook page in the Oil Patch Radio Show. You'll find the information there as well. We're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Robert McNelly, who is the founder and president of Rapidan Energy Group. Uh, Robert, before the break, we've had a, a great show, covered a lot of different topics. And uh, now I really want to get into the meat and potatoes in your book, uh, because it's a really important book to read if you want to know about energy. One of your chapters, chapter two, is titled uh, No Rockefeller, No Peace, Boom Bust Returns. Uh, Let's get started with telling me a little bit about that chapter. What did that mean?
3: Right. So Rockefeller uh, comes along uh, after the first sort of two decades or so of the oil market history, right? The modern oil market began 1859, and it was wild boom bust. It was all basically based in Western, Western Pennsylvania, and we just had crude oil prices soaring and collapsing like we've never seen before in history. Um, there are a lot of reasons for that. It was just uh, you know, the, the drillers coming in and throwing up uh, uh, rigs and drilling next to each other and producing so much oil they would have to pour it into the river. They couldn't even store it. And then, and then the, the price would collapse because there was too much and it would wipe out investment. And then the price would uh, supply would go down and the price would soar again. So Rockefeller comes along from next door in Ohio. And he's a refiner. And refiners, as you know, they consume the crude and turn it into, then it was kerosene, not gasoline, was the main product. And Rockefeller said, look, I see the, the future of kerosene as an illumination fuel to replace camphene and, and whale oil and things. But we can't have this kind of instability in the oil markets. So Rockefeller was the first refiner, if you will, to confront that age-old problem, how do I get a reliable supply – of affordably priced feedstock so I can make, turn it into products that consumers will use. And he first tried to organize all the drillers into a kind of a little oak and that failed. So then he came back and said, well, instead we'll go to the refiners. There's a smaller number of refiners than there were drillers and we'll organize them. And he did. And in Cleveland and and Pennsylvania and New York, he got together and he kind of, you know, using all kinds of methods. Uh, he he, he, he uh, organized the refiners into one group, and then he went to what we would now call the midstream, which back then was railroads and pipelines. It still is. That's how we move crude around, especially from Canada, both ways. So we went to the railroads and say, "Look, let's 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 work together. Let's have the refiners it, working together with the railroads, and let's impose discipline on those unruly drillers and make them sort of stop overproducing oil, get that price stable." so that we can all uh, sort of build and and grow our market for kerosene. And he did that. He was successful. And so in the late 1800s and early 1900s, kerosene prices were stable. And that enabled kerosene to take over as the new illumination fuel. And um, so it was the first instance where he wasn't like OPEC or Texas Railroad Commission, because they went into the upstream and just controlled the wells. Mr. Rockefeller was the first great controller of oil markets, the first great st- stabilizer. But he did it by organizing the downstream and working with the midstream. Uh, and he had pretty good results. And uh, But then as we got into the 1900s, oil was replaced by, um, rather, uh, kerosene was replaced by electricity and illumination. And uh, we were getting into transportation, but the Supreme Court. Decided to break up Standard Oil, not because of the price stability he brought. Even Rockefeller's worst critic, uh, Ida Tarbell, uh, wrote a book just vilifying the man. Even she credited him with bringing stability to the kerosene market. She didn't like him because of his, uh, you know, questionable business practices and so forth that were common back then. But even even her his detractors credited Rockefeller with bringing something that became even more important after oil changed from illumination to transportation and that is price stability
1: very and very very important in um in chapter five you're talking about the birth of opec let's quickly go into that what's in that chapter
3: yeah so opec opec comes along as the middle eastern oil producers and venezuela were starting to uh, want to acquire more control over their reserves and they wanted to take control and ownership away from the U.S., British, and, West, and French companies, uh, the Seven Sisters, if you will, that were operating the concessions. And OPEC realized they have the same problem, too, with the stable, stable, keeping the price stable. Now, the founder of OPEC uh, was a Venezuelan oil official who uh, was an exile in the United States in the 1950s, Juan Perez Alfonso. And while he's here, he just marveled at what was happening, at what was happening in Austin, Texas how the Texas Railroad Commission was able to keep oil prices so almost perfectly stable year after year, despite huge convulsions and wars in the Middle East and so forth, by using quotas. And so when this uh, fellow went back to Venezuela, they had a coup and a democratic government came in in 1959. And he, said, he said, look, um, he went to Saudi Arabia and he got a Saudi Arabian colleague and he said, you've got to go, we got to go see what the Americans are doing over here with this Texas Railroad Commission. And as we take control of our own oil, we may want to copy what they're doing so that we can keep prices stable for ourselves. And so OPEC's uh, founding was really an attempt in some ways to copy what the Texas Railroad Commission had been doing for the four decades before in terms of keeping oil price stable because they, like the US, like the Texas Railroad Commission, had that same interest in price stability.
1: Very, very interesting. Well, I enjoyed the book. I know that our listeners will enjoy the book. Uh, You don't have to be an expert in oil and gas to pick up this book and read it. But by the time you're done, you'll be a lot more informed on oil and gas and be able to have a great conversation at dinner uh, and probably know more than everybody else sitting at the table. So I encourage everyone to grab the book, uh, Crude Volatility, written by Robert McNally. Robert, thank you so much for being a guest. And we look forward to having you back on the show here in the near future.
3: Kim, thank you so much, and I look forward to coming back.
1: Thanks again, Robert, for being a guest on today's In the Oil Patch Radio show. And congratulations, because you are the topic of today's trivia question. Hey, be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shalemag.com. Again, that's radio at shalemag.com, and you will have a chance to win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo the Chow, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's trivia question is, what is the name of the book that Robert McNally wrote? That's going to wrap up another great show. See you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then, adios.
0: In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.